Hey, what's up? We're Brave Youth, a youth movement happening all across Miami, starting at our home, Brave Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We can't wait to see how God's going to use it to change your life. Enjoy the message. Everything with teenagers, with youth, a lot of times it has like this negative impact when you hear that word, right? And I would say a lot of times people look down on the youth, right? But we want to be people that uplift you, that encourage you, and that see you to go to the places that God wants you to go. And so that's why we have this, because we truly believe with all of our heart that you are the answer to the problems of this world. You are the people that are going to change things. And I did a little survey with some adults, and I asked them, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of a teenager? Okay. (laughs) Hold on, okay, okay. First thing comes to your mind. Number one, some of the things they said was impulsive, okay? Undecisive, messy, moody, rebellious, stressed out, hormonal, okay? And irrational, which often means crazy, okay? Um, So I think about those things, right? And you guys are laughing. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. I thought you guys were going to get all offended about that, all right? So that's good. But a lot of those things typically aren't good things, right? But how come many of you can admit that you've been there? Okay. You can relate to one of those things. I'm 25 years old and I can still relate to one of those, (laughs) some of those things sometimes. Okay. I can be a little moody sometimes. All right. Um, But I think about that and it's actually funny because you guys have an excuse to be that way. Did you know that? That scientifically as a teenager, the prefrontal cortex of your mind, okay, stick with me, I'm going to give you a little science lesson here, okay, the prefrontal cortex of your mind is the thing that helps you make your decisions, okay, it's the thing that is responsible for all of your self-control, it's the thing that helps you reason to choose what's right and what's wrong, okay, and did you know that in your teenage years, that part of your brain is actually being developed the most, okay? So you have an excuse, all right? You have an excuse to be the way that you are, but you're not crazy. Your brain's just developing. But the thing is, I wonder how many of you guys just don't want to live up to an excuse anymore, okay? Because here's what I believe. I believe the people in this room Mm. If you live up to an excuse, if you constantly limit yourself to an excuse, okay, that maybe science can prove, maybe people can prove, maybe history has told time before, okay, then you're not going to do anything great with your life, okay? But God wants a group of young people that say, okay, I am not just going to be limited to the excuses of people, to the titles of people, to the labels of people, but I'm going to be somebody that pushes past in everything that they put on me because I want to be someone that explodes at the mention of what God wants to do in my life. And I want to share that with you because I think sometimes as youth, we can take on that title and become people that are labeled because of a generation of people. Because if we're being honest, okay, 80% of teenagers aren't seeking after God, right? 80% of teenagers are living life their own way. They're doing things their own way. And they do meet that statistic. But I believe we have a room here full of statistic breakers, okay? That you guys are going to be people that set a new record for what it means to be a teenager in America. And so I want you guys to hear this title, okay? The title of my message today is called Flip the Script. Flipped the Script. 
A lot of times we partner ourselves with this negative thing, but I think that you guys are the ones that exist to prove people wrong, okay? To prove people wrong and to flip the script. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you for today, God. I thank you for every person that's in this room, Lord. We know that you want to move. We know that you want to speak, God. I believe that you're going to lay out new statistics for America in this room tonight, God. Things that are going to be birthed into the hearts of these teenagers, Lord Jesus. We give you this night. Would you speak to us and would you move in us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what if instead of giving people a reason to blame the youth, you began to give people a reason to believe in the youth? Okay? What if you stop giving people a reason to blame people, blame the youth, but to believe in the youth again? What if you stopped living to the excuses that people gave them and you decided, you know what, with my life, I'm going to turn the tables on some things? What if youth took back the words like impulsive, rebellious, irrational, and you started to redefine them so much to the point that negativity was completely stripped from the meaning of those words? And those words were actually turned around to begin to use to lead a movement of young people that would chase after God in America. Because here's the thing, I believe that the word impulsive doesn't have to be negative. That if we impulsively love people, if we impulsively love people, then maybe some things would start to change. And I believe rebellious, that doesn't have to be bad either. You can have a rebellious faith. You know, Jesus was one of the most rebellious people of his time, okay? Because he flipped the tables constantly. There was a way that things were supposed to be, and Jesus was a rebel against those things because he was moving in the power and the spirit of God. And I think the word irrational, okay? You don't have to be somebody that is just delusional. You get to be somebody that has a rational faithfulness, okay? That you move where it seems irrational to everybody else. It makes sense to God, but you're moving in faithfulness with him. So the first thing I want to talk to you guys about is impulsive love. Say impulsive love. What if it was your first instinct to love instead of to judge someone? What if when somebody walked into the room for the first time and you were meeting them for the first time, instead of you looking them up and down to check out what they were wearing, the first thing you said is, I wonder what they came from, I wonder who they are, and I wonder what they want for their life. What if our first instinct wasn't just to judge people, but it was to love people? What if love was the first thing that you did as your Christian duty? It was something that you instinctively loved to do. What if love was the first thing that you did rather than jumping to conclusions, rather than being angry, rather than being offended, right? What if it was just something that instead of when we met somebody or when we did something differently, we were able to say, you know what? I'm going to look past what I see in the physical eyes, and I'm going to look deeper to what God sees. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, it says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels, but don't have love, I would just be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all of this knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Jesus says that because he compares love to everything. And without love, we have nothing. We are nothing. We accomplish nothing. God literally says that this is the way to get to people's heart. It's to break down barriers. We would, instead of trying to figure people out, instead of the misunderstandings and the differences that we have with people, we need to love people in order to divide the barriers that the enemy constantly tries to put up. 
The word impulsive, it also comes from this word impulse, and it refers to actions being done without thinking about the consequences. I would ask you, what's keeping you from loving someone impulsively? What is keeping you from loving somebody without thinking about the consequences that come next, without thinking about the people that will look at you differently, without thinking about what happens to your life next? Because here's the deal. If we can't love impulsively, the chances are you're either stuck in pride, you're either stuck in what people will think of you, or you're either stuck in a place where you actually just, a lack of empathy for people, you just don't care. I never want to be somebody that God's able to say, oh, that person just didn't care about my people enough. Because here's the deal. God literally said, the only commandments that I have for you is to come love God and love other people. And if we're, missing, if we're loving God and we have this great relationship with him, him, that's awesome. But the second thing that he wants of us is to love his people. And if we're not doing that, then chances are our relationship with God isn't flourishing in the way that he wants. It's just becoming this, this self-impacted person, this self-one-on-one. God never meant to just to be a one-on-one. He meant to be a one to a one to everybody else. Does that make sense? He wants us to flow. He wants us to share the love that he has done and the things that he has for us. And I believe that a youth movement is started and it's carried by teenagers that will live an impulsive love life. Youth who aren't just waiting for someone to come and approach them, but rather you're going out in boldness and you're going to them and you're saying, I'm going to give that person a chance because you know what? God gave me a chance, but rather you're going to be a people that start to go and you won't stop in the middle of what you're doing, but you will just stop and do it. You know what? There was a group of teenagers that came to my house on a Sunday, and it was funny because there was like supposed to be like 10 kids that were coming over, and, and only like five of them came upstairs, and I was like, guys, where's everybody else? And they're like, oh, they're downstairs, they're downstairs. And then all of a sudden, I had two of them come up, and they were like, hey, Pastor Witt, you got any food? And I was like, I mean, I, I got some food, like here, I don't have a lot of food, so I need you guys to eat this real quick, okay? Um, and they came up, and they're like, no, 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 there's a homeless person downstairs that we've been talking with. Um, and these people have been asking to come to my house forever, and I keep telling them, no, I got to take a nap, okay? I got a baby, I'm tired. And they've been asking to come, and they interrupted interrupted their plans, okay, to come up and to come hang out with us. They interrupted their plans because they saw someone that needed love. They saw someone that needed attention. They saw someone that needed food. And so they stopped everything that they were doing. And I said, hey, I don't got much food, okay? You might not have enough food. And they're like, it's okay, it's okay. They can eat what I have. The homeless person can have what I have. And they sat there and they took a moment to impulsively love someone and make space for God to plant a seed in that person's life. When's the last time you were just able to say, God, stop my plans where I'm at, God. Show me a person that needs your love. Because a lot of times, I think God's knocking and interrupting our life, but we don't take the time to listen. We don't take the time to stop. And I wonder what miracles could be done. The thing that I love about Jesus is in the Bible, he was going and he was on his way to heal a little girl that was sick, that was dying. And in the middle of it, he stopped and he healed a woman who touched his robe in the middle of it. But he was going from point A to point B. He had an extreme destination that he was going to, but because somebody else in the midst of his travel needed a healing, he stopped. How many miracles are we missing that God wants to do in our lives? God wants to use us to explore his power and his glory, but because we can't stop in the middle of our travel, okay, we miss what God wants to do. God wants to use you to impulsively love people. He wants to use you to show up and change people's lives, okay? And so we need to be looking for God, and we need to say, God, 
show up, interrupt me. God, I give you permission. Even as I was standing here praying, I said, God, I give you permission to interrupt what I want to speak tonight, okay? I give you permission to show up. And I believe that if we were people, if you guys, we got this from the time that you were youth and you were able to say, God, would you interrupt my day today and show me somebody that needs your love? I guarantee your hands would be full with assignments that God wants you to do in your school. So say, God, would you interrupt my life? The next thing that I want to talk to you guys about is rebellious faith, okay? Say rebellious faith. Did you guys know that a grasshopper, okay, a little grasshopper, okay? These things, I hate grasshoppers. Who hates grasshoppers? Okay, they're disgusting. They jump everywhere. They're unpredictable, okay? Did you know that a grasshopper can actually jump up to 20 times its size? 20 times the size, okay? So a two-inch grasshopper can jump up to 40 feet. I mean, 40 inches, sorry, 40 inches, not 40 feet, okay? 40 inches, 40 feet, wow, okay? No, 40 inches, okay? That's like almost the size of me, I'm sure, okay? And we wanted to test this experiment. So there was a scientist that said, you know what, I'm going to test this and see if it's actually true. And he put a box that was one foot tall, he put a box that was two feet tall, and then he put a box that had no lid, And it was amazing because what he saw is he put this one grasshopper, he tested him all the same, he put the one grasshopper in the box that was only a foot tall. And did you know that that grasshopper actually never jumped to hit the ceiling of the box? He would jump an inch below the box every single time. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so he was like, okay, a little weird, go to the next box. He had a box that was two feet tall. Again, the grasshopper would jump, it wouldn't hit its head on the ceiling, it would just stop an inch before it hit the top. He's like, weird. You would think that it would like hit the top and like learn, right? Okay, that it, like, oh, there's a top there. But no, it never stopped because here's the thing about grasshoppers is they adapt to their surroundings, okay? So they won't jump further than they know that they're going to get hurt. They won't jump further unless they know that there's security where they're jumping. Some of you guys might see where I'm going with this, but if you don't, hold tight, okay? He put them in the box that had no lid. And when he put the grasshopper that's literally this big in the box, it jumped up to four feet tall outside of the box box that it was going to go because it had no lid. It had no boundaries. It had nothing to be scared of. It didn't have to adapt to anything. And I believe sometimes as youth, we can adapt to our surroundings and we can get comfortable where we're at. And so we don't choose to be rebellious anymore. We don't choose to be outrageous with our faith. We don't choose to live differently than everybody else because you know what? We got to adapt to our surroundings. We got to adapt to the cultural norm of what is happening all around us. But in Matthew 7, 13, 14, it says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Say narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. Only a few will ever find it. You know what keeps a few from finding God? People that stay in a one-foot box. People that stay in a two-foot box. People that go into a, a box with no lid. It's then that the, the few that find God becomes a lot of people that find God. It's then that you're able to expand and say, God, take the lid off of my life so that I don't just be the only person that finds you. But that, So every person I come into contact with, I take them with me to the gate of heaven. I take them with me into your presence to find you. A lot of times we stick to what's labeled as this safe Christianity because it's just what we're supposed to do. 
When Jesus was in his time, he went into the temple, he went into the place of worship, and he flipped tables because he said, you know what? All I see here is a religious spirit. All I see here is rules, is regulations, is things that need to be set up. But you know what? Jesus went against all of that because he said, you know what? It's about a relationship. It's about a holiness. It's not about living to a standard of something that's right and wrong. It's about living above that and wanting to honor God in everything that we do. And so we need to flip the norm. We need to flip the script of things that are happening here. Now, I'm not saying be disrespectful, okay? Being rebellious does not necessarily have to mean disrespectful. That's the negative side of things, okay? Having a rebellious faith, just saying, God, let me be dangerous with my faith. Let me live on the edge with my faith, not on the edge close to sin, but on the edge with my faith. Let me do something that maybe people haven't seen before, I believe that if you ask God to do something in you and to speak something new to you of how you can boldly live in your faith, he will. When I was in high school, I had a dream, um, and I was in ninth grade, and I was just saying, God, you know what? My friends are so lost. My school is so lost, and I really don't know how to make a difference in this, but God, you know my heart. I want to. And I said, God, would you show me a way? Would you show me something? And that night I went to sleep, and I remember having this dream. And we were in our gymnasium at my high school, and there was a game going on, and people were playing. And all of a sudden, I, I saw, I was sitting in the bleachers of my school, and I saw this fire in the, like over by the door. And I was like, uh, guys, does like anybody see that fire? Anybody smell that fire? Anybody feel that? Like, guys, the fire is getting bigger. The fire is getting bigger. And nobody could hear me. And I started getting in my dream. I got up in a frantic, and I was like, guys, there's a fire. The building is on fire. And I was screaming. I was getting frantic. And nobody was listening. Nobody could see me. Nobody could hear me. And I ended up going up to my friends and shaking them and saying, guys, we have to get out of here. We're going to burn up. The building is on fire. And as I went to leave, nobody was listening to me, but I was like, you know what? I'm getting out of here. And as I went to leave, the door shut in front of me, and it was locked. I couldn't get out. So I'm freaking out in my dream. Okay, anybody have a dream that feels like so real? You're like, oh, this is like scary. Okay. I'm like starting to sweat. Okay. And I go and... I went back, and in my dream, I heard the Lord whisper to me, you have to take people with you. You're close to burning in this fire, but you have to take people with you. And so little by little, I started to grab people, and they weren't even listening to me in my dream. And I just started to grab them, and I said, hold my hand, hold my hand, come with me, come with me. And little by little, these people didn't even know what they were doing, but they were grabbing my hands, and we ended up forming this line. And what do you know, when we form this line in my dream, the entire gym is engulfed in flames. But we formed this line, and as we did, there was a split in the flames. Now, this is all a dream, and this is something that, you know what? God speaks through dreams. He speaks through people. He speaks through his word, okay? So there's different things. And there was a split in it, and we were standing there united. And all I can think is I saw this line of all my friends, and I would look down, and they were still not being burnt. Nobody was being burnt by this fire. And I felt like what God spoke to me is said, Whitney, it's your responsibility to get people and to bring them with you. They might not understand what is happening now, but here's the thing is you are the saving grace. You are the person that is going to pull them along. And what I believe for you guys, for teenagers, 
teenagers today is that that is for you, okay? Some people might say no to Christ for time and time after again. Some people might say no to an invite to church, but here's the deal. You need to bring them with whatever you can. Maybe it's you going to McDonald's with them and buying them some meals off the dollar menu, okay? Maybe it's just going out and doing something that looks a little different than church, but you are the person that can lead them to Christ. You are the person that can bring them that next step of them maybe saying yes to a relationship with him. Because if not, we're going to be stuck in this fire burning and people aren't going to have a way out. God literally shut the door in my dream. And I think a lot of times when we see a shut door in our life, we think God's done with us. But a lot of times we just need to step back and say, okay, God, there's the closed door. What's next? And that's what rebellious faith is. That's what bold faith is, is going to the next level and saying, God, I don't understand, but I don't have to figure it out. Band, you can come up right now. The last point that I have for you guys is irrational faithfulness. Say irrational faithfulness. Faithfulness when it doesn't make sense. Faithfulness when you don't see the outcome. When all you have to hold on to is something that God spoke to you. I find it crazy that when God speaks something to me that sounds a little crazy, um, a lot of times I'll sit there and try to figure it out before I, before I actually listen to what it is he's speaking to me. Has anybody ever been there that maybe he spoke something that just sounded like, that doesn't make any sense. And you just sit there and you try to figure it out and it doesn't make any sense. And maybe you're like, okay, God, maybe, maybe you actually didn't mean to say it that way. Okay, I'm going to give you a chance again. What was that that you had to speak to me? What was that you were trying to say, right? And um, I find it funny because we were fasting and praying this whole month, the 31 days of prayer and fasting. You guys have been a part of that. And um, as I was praying, I felt like God laid two words on my heart. And those words were stupid obedience. Sorry, I said the S word, stupid. Okay, we grew up, that's not a good word, right? But I felt like the words he laid on my heart were stupid obedience. And at first I was like, God, do you want me to be stupid? What? Um, and he spoke to me, not stupid, but irrational. Stop trying to make sense of what I'm asking you to do and just do it. Be faithful even when it doesn't make sense. Guys, and I believe that with youth, if you're going to be people that change things, that shake up this world, that flip tables, that turn the script, okay, you have to be people that say, God, I'm going to walk with stupid obedience, even when it's irrational, even when it sounds delusional, even when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to be somebody that just says yes. And as I studied this idea, God led me to Genesis, and, and Abraham and Sarah, they, were, they gave birth, Pastor David. Pastor Darrison talked a little bit about it last week, but they gave birth to a son at 100 years old, and his name was Isaac, and they had been praying for a son for years and years and years, and God just kept saying, I'm going to give you a son. Hold tight. I'm going to give you a son, and at 100 years old, they had a son, okay? How many know that's crazy, right? Like, that's old, and so he had a son, and when Abraham son Isaac was old enough to walk, they ended up, God ended up saying to him, you know what? I know you waited for the son. I know that he was the answer to the promise that I had for you, but I want you to take this son that you have, and I want you to grab some wood, some rope. I want you to climb up this mountain, and I want you to put him on an altar and sacrifice him, okay? 
That sounds crazy, right? That sounds delusional, right? And I love it because I looked through the passage over and over and over again because I looked and I was like, if that was me, if God was asking me to take Blaze and to go sacrifice her on a mountain, okay, I'd be like, boy, you crazy. Like, I'm not doing that. That's insane. But I kept looking through the scripture and never once did it say that Abraham even asked a question. He had stupid obedience. It also says that he never asked a single person if he should do it. Because here's the deal. A lot of times when God speaks something to you that sounds outrageous, if we go to our friends or we go to different people and we ask them, hey, what do you think about this? Do you think God really said this? A lot of times they're going to be like, no, you're crazy. Like talk you down from doing what God said you to do. But here's the deal. It's not going to make sense to them because if it would make sense to them, God would have asked them to do it, but God asked you to do it. So just do it. And so God was putting this whole thing in my heart and they go and they take Isaac and he goes up the mountain and they're going. And I can just imagine Isaac saying like, okay, dad, like dad, we got this, we got the wood, we got the rope. We're going up this mountain. Like Where's the animal that we're sacrificing? And Abraham was just silent. He was just listening. He was just doing what God asked of him. And he takes him up to the mountain and he gets him on the altar and he sets it all up. And right before he is about to sacrifice Isaac, God sends an animal out to sacrifice. And, and God yells down to Abraham and he says, stop, 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 stop. He says, this is, you can sacrifice this animal. Don't sacrifice your son. I wanted to see your faithfulness to me. I wanted to see just how far you would go. I would never let you actually do this. I would never make you be in pain like this. But here's the deal. I wanted to see how far I could push you and you would keep saying yes to me. And because you said yes to me this far to the thing closest to your heart. Because how many of you know we won't give up the things that are close to our heart? We hold tight to those as if it was like God didn't give it to us in the first place, right? But here's the deal. He said, because you were close, you were faithful in the thing that was even close to your heart, I'm going to make you somebody that is abundantly blessed through all generations, that every single child that you have, every single person in your family will be blessed. And I look at that because a lot of times I think we don't make it to the point of hearing God be able to say, you've been so faithful to me. We don't see the blessing and the promise that he has for us because we don't even make it to the point of the yes to be able to say, God, for God to be able to say, you've been so faithful to me. A lot of time we stop before we even get to that point. And man, that's for me, I don't know about you, but that's all I want to hear God say is that, oh, you, Whitney, you were so faithful to me in your time on earth. You weren't shaken. You didn't give up on me. You didn't fall when you didn't understand. Instead, you just stupidly chased me. You irrationally followed me. And for me, I believe the validation of God, the approval of God, that outweighs any emotion that any person could ever give to me. A lot of times we don't make it to the point of hearing God through the silence because we stop to evaluate what God said. We stop and try to figure out the plan A. Oh, if it doesn't work out this way, maybe God will go this way with it. I think about those like little tests that you take in those magazines like, will you marry this person? Yes, no. And it goes and it goes these all these arrows and different things. And we try to find all these plan A, B, and C that God might be trying to orchestrate. And we stop and ask everyone for advice. But God just wants a yes. God just wants 
an irrational yes that might not make sense to anybody, that in the natural it doesn't make sense, but God's saying, step into my supernatural. Step into the place with the lid off. Step into the place that things change because here's the deal. You experience my goodness. You experience my glory when you step into the place of just saying yes to God. If you guys want to stand to your feet real quick. Every leader that's in this room, every adult that's here, we believe nothing more than the fact that you guys are the answer to this broken, messed up, saving, in need of a savior world. We believe that with our full hearts, and if we didn't, we would not come to this place every single week. Okay, some people take off work completely to be here. Some of these leaders have to drive two hours to get here in traffic, but they make a priority to be here every single Wednesday night because we believe in you. We believe in a generation of people that looks for the validation of God over the approval and rejection of other people. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here, but we know that your generation has what it takes to flip the script and to bring back God to a godless nation. I was on Instagram this week, and I I was flipping through all these stories, and I read this poem uh, that shook me. I was like, whoa, whoa, that was good. It was like one of those things that you got to like, you're like scrolling, you like quickly read it, you got to flip back, and you're like, wow, like that was a good word. And I believe, um, it was a teenager actually that wrote this. She was 15 years old. Uh, She's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she's a youth student there. And she wrote this, but I want to read it to you guys because I believe it's a declaration for your generation. I believe that um, God wants to speak things to you guys that are going to be declarations and prophecies of what God's going to do in the future in your generation. And so I wanted to read it for you guys tonight. If you could put that up on the screen. It says, Generation Z, if you didn't know, you guys are Generation Z, okay? But it says, Generation Z failed. In the future, no one will ever say that we're the most spirit-filled the world has ever seen. The right to think that we're the most atheistic generation in history. It's impossible to imagine that teenagers could ever come together to worship God. Our new normal is hatred. We will never be known for our love and kindness towards one another, but we will be known for being offended and for being stoppers. You read that and you're like, what, Pastor Whitney? That was motivational to you, (laughs) okay? But at the bottom of it, she writes, shift your perspective and read this from the bottom up. And it says this. This is the declaration over you. We will stop being offended. We will be known for our love and our kindness towards one another. We will never be known for hatred. The new normal is teenagers coming together to worship God. It is impossible to imagine that we are the most atheistic generation in history. People are right to think that we are the most spirit-filled generation that this world has ever seen. Because in the future, no one will ever say that this generation failed. So I ask you guys tonight is what will they say? What will people say about you? 
When this generation is long and past, okay, generations before you, they say failed in this, okay? Generations before you relied on religion and rules to being the thing that defined who God was. But what will people say about your generation, about the youth in this room? What will people say about brave youth and the impact that they left on the city of Miami? I ask you guys, will it be script number one? known for hatred, known for offense, known for people that failed, right? Or will it be people that are known to be people that loved irrationally, impulsively, that had faithfulness, that didn't look for the consequences of what come next, that just lived with stupid obedience? Will it be people that go and they go the extra mile for people? Will it be people that rebellious faith challenged other people to have a relationship with God? Will it be people that led a revival, that led a movement, that said, God, I don't matter what it costs, all I want is your fire in my life, your passion and your power in my life? What will people say about you? What legacy will you lead? Will you step up and will you actually be the answer to this world? Because we believe you have what it takes. But do you? Do you believe you have what it takes? with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're in this room and you're saying, God, I need to be somebody that starts to take this more seriously. I need to be somebody that just believes I have what it takes to flip the script and to do something new, do something different. If you're in this room and you're saying, God, would you give me boldness to be that? I want you just to look up at me. You can put your heads down. And if you're in this room and you're just saying, hey, God, I've been on this relationship with you for a while, but God, I need a refreshing start with you. I need to be excited that you chose me, that you want to use me. Then I just want every person in this, this room just to repeat this prayer, okay? God, I pray that we would stop being a reason to blame and that we would become a reason for people to believe. Would you help me flip the script from what's normal to the world to what's normal in your presence? Stretch me, move me, change me. I give you my life. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you like this message, hit subscribe and stay connected by visiting us at brave.guide. We'll see you next time. And remember, no turning back. The best is yet to come.